I just want to make you aware of some of the things going on this weekend that uh, just show the the richness, you might say the richness or the, you know, the, the way our culture has declined. Uh, but I love this country. We've lived other places. I love this country. And, and um, when I look at how this Easter Sunday is being used by different groups, let me just go through. Um, uh, the first one is that there's a new gun violence initiative going on uh, led by May- Mayor Bloomberg, which I'll get into just a little bit later. And it deals around 420 being the uh, uh, 15th year um, commemoration of, um, uh, of Columbine. And for those of us who lived there at that time, believe me, uh, if we could forget that, we could. If we could erase it, we could. But it, it is being used as a part of a political movement. Um, uh, there's another one going on, which, of course, is 420, which will be held at uh, Red Rocks this evening. And it was held at Red Rocks last evening. They got rained out. Oh, too bad. Um, <laughs> but that's about the marijuana initiative and the freedom to uh, sell marijuana without uh, any legal penalties. Also on this day, 420. Um, it's Easter. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes. And then uh, it's, it's also being used very craftily by this group called um, Freedom From Religion Foundation, FFAF, I guess it's called, in which they're putting out this sign uh, on different billboards. Uh, Nobody died for our sins. Jesus Christ is a myth. And uh, that's being placed very strategically, especially in New York City, uh, at this time of year. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why they chose Easter uh, or, and Holy Week. Well, it's, you know, I'm no dummy. Plus, I took marketing. I know exactly what they're doing, who they're trying to reach, and, and what their purpose is. And, and as you look at this, I, you know, I, I'm saying, oh, boy, I hope my neighbors have seen this because what a, what a conversational piece. We can use this for the advantage of the kingdom of God uh, because they're going to read this and I'm going to say, did you see that sign? What do you think about it? Uh, if you're going to put up a sign like this, boy, you better know what you're doing and why you're doing it and how much you're investing because it can turn against you and you will be the fools of the universe. And I'm looking forward to conversation coming out of this. You see, what it's facing, all in this day we see these, this sort of culture war occurring in our country. And I love it because we have the freedom to do this here. We're, we're not told this is what you must think, this is what you must believe, and this is how you must act. So uh, as I see what's going on, uh, I'm saying this is like a, a macro look. What's going on in our culture is like a macro look of the struggle going on in each one of our individual hearts. You see, we're all trying to understand what's true, what works, what's going to last. And, and we have to understand that our beliefs will not be determined by a billboard that we see on a sign and, and, and therefore make our decision, I saw the billboard, I believe. Nor is it going to be made by a cross that maybe is on a hill or taken down from a hill. What is it? What are the influences that God uses to shape your belief system? Well, some of those would be the way we use our head, the facts. 
necessary to know the facts. Otherwise, without facts, we'll just be fools. Uh, something else is what is it that shapes the heart? How, how, how do we, you know, how do we emote in such a way that we convict to something? Not just say it's true, but convict to that truth. Another part is the relationships in our life. Facts, feelings, relationships, they all move together. So this morning I want us to consider the facts behind our choices. Uh, you know, and, and, and understand that as we do that, we have a better chance of finding the right choice. I didn't say a good choice. There's a lot of good choices. But I'm talking about right from false. I'm talking about true versus having no foundation. And I'm talking about something that's true, very personal, not just in our culture, very personal and also transforming. Let me explain. I, I saw someone back here earlier this morning, and I think she's teaching this morning. Uh, a, a woman in our church several years ago shared her personal story of how she came to faith in Jesus Christ. She grew up in a Catholic girl's school, so she was guilty all the time. Okay, And, and because she was in that school, she, she once went to her sister and said, I can't sleep at night, her older sister, I can't sleep at night because I, I, I just feel... I just feel so guilty for my sins. And her older sister, as older sisters do, tried to comfort her, patted her on the back and said, don't worry about any penalty for your sins. When you die, you just become future fertilizer for the trees. Now, she wasn't comforted. That didn't answer her issues in life. So she continued to search, and several years later, uh, she found Jesus Christ, the true Christ, uh, she put her trust in her, and from that, she, can't, she got this awareness that her sins really were forgiven through Christ's death on the cross. And more than that, she was given this inner peace that only God can give, so she no longer was walking around guilty, but knowing she was forgiven. Isn't that amazing when you think of that? Because now, just about two weeks ago, I got an email from her, please pray for my sister. And she had a stroke. She's, she's not that old. She had a stroke. And she's in the hospital. So I emailed her back. I'm praying for your sister. And then I asked, uh, is this the older sister? And she emails back, this is the older sister. Is this the future fertilized for trees sister? This is the FFA sister, okay? Future fertilizers of America. Uh, <clears throat> And so, so I really am going to pray, and I have been praying. First of all, you know, you don't wish this on anybody. But when it happens, you understand that maybe this is a special moment in someone's life where they're listening as they've never listened before. And so I was praying that she would you know, know how to better care for her body, but also how to better care for her soul. I can't smile at thinking that all I'm destined to be is future fertilizer. I think all of us have had experiences like this, not that we plan them or we want them, but they make us step back and evaluate who we are, what do we believe, who do we trust. And you see, mine was a combination of several things, and they're still going, and they're still going on in my life. I remember uh, as a, uh, as a young high school student 
that uh, there were many questions about life which I couldn't answer. And the last thing I want to do is go to my parents. So I, I, I just was confused. More than that, I remember that there was also a, uh, a riot in Los Angeles and my life was threatened. There was another event that very year where there was a spin out on the freeway and I was driving. And I was looking at six lanes of I-10 traffic coming at me. I should have died or at least been a severe accident. In addition to that, there were many people who behind the scenes were praying for me and, and to my face were befriending me. So you put all these together, these experiences, and I understand this certain period of time, and there's been others in, in the, you know, later on, but this certain period of time, God used to shape. Some of the situations were very good, some were disastrous. But God used these to shape my trust in God. What experiences have you had? What opportunities has God given you to shape what your worldview is? Whether you have a trust in God, or a trust in science, or a trust in humanity. How's that working for you? The resurrection of Jesus tells us that heaven is available. You are not future fertilizer. His rising from the dead tells us many things, but one of the things is that because Jesus rose from the dead, there is life after death. And Jesus rose not just for himself to say that I will live after death, but he promised that we would be with him. So let's examine with our minds and with our emotions and our, and our wills what this means and what sort of opportunity this could be. Maybe this is one of those moments in which God is saying, this is shaping you. First of all, consider the empty tomb. Now, I'm not going to do a courtroom examination of the evidence. I've done other messages on that. I don't suggest you do it. Uh, but instead, uh, you would see that in your bulletin, um, there on the back of the outline, uh, there are many things listed from the Gospels that tell the most accurate view we have of why Jesus rose from the dead and how people tried to hide it afterwards. So I'm not going to do that, but uh, you take that home, you evaluate it, maybe you can add some things, maybe you question some things, you're welcome to do that. And if you want to talk about those facts, let's do that. But not this morning. But understand this, it is those facts that lead us to believe that Jesus both died and rose by the power of his Father in heaven. There is no better record of Jesus' last moments and Jesus' resurrection than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so as we look forward, there's one truth that still remains. When it comes to Jesus' body, the tomb is still empty. More than that, all sorts of uh, determined scientists as well as uh, scam artists are still looking for his body. 2,000 years later, Jesus' body, we're still looking. Uh, claims have been made. Books have been written. Holes have been dug. Saying, this is he. This is where he's at. He's in this little box. And every time it's proven to be untrue. They cannot find his body, and you know what? They never will. He's not here. He's in heaven with his father. And believe me, that really ticks off the materialists who cannot accept anything beyond the physical realm of life. 
So those are the, the you know, the, the things you need to consider about the empty tomb. 2,000 years later, it's still empty, still haven't found him. But then let's go beyond the facts and let's look at someone who was moved, not just by Jesus' death, but also by his resurrection. She met the risen Christ. I have often wondered why, I have often wondered why Jesus first appeared to a woman. And I come to the right conclusion, I think. Finally, someone who believes. That was a sexist joke. That's why nobody's laughing? Okay. Uh, but, okay. Uh, he appears to her first. Now, understand that what's happened is the issue is a missing corpse. And, and, and Jesus at this time reveals to his disciples and to others that the corpse is not missing because he has risen from the dead. So the first one to see the risen Christ is Mary of Magdala. We call her Mary Magdalene, meaning she's from Magdala. And then she is with at least two other women and then later Peter and John. Mary is the first to get to the tomb. She sees it's empty, and, and so she runs back to tell the disciples. Peter and John here, they, they run forward. They look at the evidence themselves that the tomb is empty. Uh, amazing evidence there, the way that everything was folded up in a way in which somebody took care. If you're going to steal a body, you don't take care. You know, you, you just get up and go. Well, Peter and John, they go back, and Mary's left there alone. And, and suddenly, because she is so confused, just like Peter and John and the other women who have left, she is there so confused that her emotions just let go and she starts to cry because she is missing uh, not just the, the, you know, the body of Jesus, but she is missing out on the act that she wanted to perform for Jesus, and that is anointing his body with the oils and the, and the perfumes and the spices that would help uh, take down the smell and slow the decay. She was expecting a dead Jesus. The disciples were expecting a dead Jesus. So suddenly someone speaks to her. You know, what are you looking for? You see that there? Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And Mary thinks, well, who could else be here this early in the morning? Uh, It must be the caretaker. It must be the gardener. So she says, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you put him and I will get him. That doesn't make sense. She can't get him. This little lady can't lift a big male corpse. But she says it because she'll do anything to finish her job. And so she's uh, sharing her confusion. She's emotionally upset, crying as much as she can. And, and, and she thinks she's speaking to the gardener. And, 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 and she makes this offer. And then suddenly the gardener, who is Jesus, says, Mary. And from that time that he mentions her name and says it in the voice of one who, who knows you personally. She recognizes who she is and she grabs onto him. You know, we don't know why Mary could not connect the dots. No sexist jokes there, okay? We don't know why. But we know that she couldn't, yet when she does, she clings to him. Only he has proven that physical death is not the end of our lives. And so her confusion turns to ecstatic joy. She grabs him and she won't let go. And Jesus says in one of the other Gospels, don't touch me yet, don't touch me. She can't let go. Uh, That is what a personal faith does in any spirit. 
Jesus has done the impossible. It's okay to get excited about it. It's okay to have ecstatic joy about it. You know, that makes him God. That makes him one worth following. Your efforts in following Jesus are not in vain. That makes his claim to forgive your sins valid. And Mary is just overjoyed to see him. And that is why 2,000 years later, his followers still experience a, a whole list of effects from their trust. What are the effects today? We endure like no one can endure. Whether it's pain, sickness, old age, we understand that a heavenly life, a better life, a perfect life is promised to us and Jesus stands there to show that it happens. We have a hope in this life, not just for heaven, but a hope that, you know, since we are reconciled to God, so maybe everything else can be reconciled on this earth. The hope of restored relationships, the hope of Jesus' return. We also have the ability to smile when facing death. Why? Because Jesus rose and he promised, so shall you for those who put your trust in me. So when you meet the risen Christ, there's great joy for you too and it's okay. Now understand when I met the risen Christ and I, I, I put my trust in him, I don't know how to be happy. I, it just isn't in me. I came from a family with uh, what I call flatline emotions. You never show them. You just always keep them inside. But I knew that something was different. Something had changed in my life. And this is what happens to believers. Mary continues to cling because only he has proven that death is not the end of our lives. And there's another promise for today. And, and I think this, this affects the way that we will live daily. Uh, in, in Ephesians, Paul is talking about what it is like to be a believer in Christ. And he's making a prayer for these, uh, for these Christian believers. And, and, and he's praying that you know, everything about them will just uh, get better and better. Their hearts, their minds, their hope, everything. And, and then he says that you would know the incomparably great, incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The resurrection of Jesus affects your mind. You have to make a decision. If this is God's son and if he's risen from the dead and if his death on the cross means forgiveness for your sins. The resurrection of Jesus affects your hearts. And so people who have this worldview carry around with them an expectation of heaven that makes our hearts different. You are not future fertilizer. Neither are you insignificant to God nor are you unloved by God. God is real and he makes heaven available to you. The resurrection of Jesus also affects both the afterlife but also this life. And so if you're in God's family now, uh, understand that you are his child for eternity. And that doesn't mean just till you die, but for eternity. And you get to live with a new inner power through his spirit for this life. Paul calls it a similar power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
Now he says it's in accordance with, not exactly the same, but very much like it. And what does it mean? It, it means that you are not chained to your weaknesses. You are not stalled in your character. You can say yes to the good and no to the evil. More than that, it goes deep within. You have chosen a life where you're saying, I'm going to be honoring Jesus for the rest of my life, and my goal is to be more like him, more like him, until I go to be with him. A summary statement would be this. When you place your trust in the risen Christ, you change. It may not be an instantaneous change, but it's an ongoing change. Your heart changes, your mind changes, the quality of your relationships change. Your schedule changes, your spending, uh, the way you spend money changes. Your core values, your ethics, they, they begin to change. Your desires change. Why? Because you change. And at the top of the value pyramid of your life is honoring Jesus and being like him in how you live. John closes a part of his gospel by saying this in John 20, 31. But these things, talking about the resurrection and, and, and the ministry of Jesus, these things are written that you may believe that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. What does he mean by life? He's not talking about just a heaven life. He's talking about the good life, the great life the spiritual life, the connection to God life. And you have life in his name that begins now and goes on forever. I've had the privilege of ministering. I'm just starting my 18th year here at Bergen Park Church. And uh, judging by my age, there won't be 18 more, okay? But in those 18 years, it has been amazing as I have kept track of what God has been doing in the lives, not of me, but in the lives of people like you. I, many times I've sat down with people over a cup of coffee and uh, they'll say, you know, I think I'm reviewing my situation here. What I was trusting in ain't working. And uh, what you're talking about is probably worth a try. Or someone else would say, you know, I, uh, I can't believe this, but for the first time ever, uh, one of my prayers was answered. To which I say, oh, just a coincidence. <laughs> no, I don't say that. <laughs> or when someone says, thanks for your prayers, that relationship is being reconciled. Or thanks for your prayers. My faith is turning around. Jim, thanks for praying for me. I'm coming back to the Lord. Those are amazing moments. They prove to me that when Jesus says, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he means it. And story after story after story You see, this encourages me more than that. It allows me to to understand that God is at work in ways that I never would have dreamed. He's working in your life because you are significant to him. 
He has allowed you these, these, these sense of experiences where suddenly you're, you're, you're realizing God is in these and he's using me and, and, and more than using me, things are changing in my life. Oh, I'm changing. And as I say this, it's not about getting fame and rarely is it about money. It's about blessing and love and change and new motivations, reconciled relationships. 2,000 years later, understand, that power that raised Jesus from, the Christ, Jesus from the grave is still transforming lives today. So I want to give you today a, an optional assignment. Don't come back next week and say, the dog ate my homework. Don't, don't do that, because it's optional. But every once in a while, we have to go and we have to make an evaluation of our lives. And that's essentially what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to evaluate the quality of your life. Could honoring God make you more fulfilled in how you are living it? Could honoring God make you more fulfilled in how you are living your life? Evaluate your relationships. Could Jesus, as your model, make you contribute more to the relationships that really count in your life? Evaluate your purpose in life. Could your purpose of life be elevated by following the Son of God? Evaluate your eternity. If heaven is available, have you made sure that your eternity will be spent with God and His Son? Are you unsure? Are you undecided? Are you struggling with that? I don't know how much you watch the news, but um, I was... Somewhat taken aback this this week, and uh, I haven't got all the facts. If I'm bringing it about wrong, it's it, I, 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 I already apologize. But from what I read, the famous mayor of New York City, Blomberg, um, uh, has joined in this um, this 420 uh, Columbine commemoration by uh, uh, setting aside some of his personal fortune. Now, he's a gazillionaire, okay? But he set aside some of his personal fortune for gun safety and, and things like that. And it's a good work. Um, you may not agree with, uh, um, you know, how he wants it done, but, but setting aside that much money is, is a good work. Um, however, in the midst of that, talking about what he had done, he also shared, I'm sure I'm going to heaven. That got my attention. And it was in conjunction, and I, I didn't get all the facts, but in conjunction with what he's doing here. I just want you to say this. If heaven was only for the rich, I wouldn't want to go there. More than that, I, I find the rich, well, the rich are fine, but I, I wouldn't qualify. You, you get that? If heaven is only for those who say, by my good works, I earn my way to heaven. By the amount that I have set aside, not, not just a percentage of, not just a percentage of my, uh, but the total amount uh, for a good work, then I qualify, I'll get into heaven. If that's what he meant, Mayor, read the Bible, please. And understand that you have to confront the risen Christ. Place your trust in him as God's son who died on his cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's the only way. Not just for him, 
but for all of us, each and every one. Heaven is available. Death is not final. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Okay. Invite you to come back next week as we'll talk about those who fail and and fall away from Jesus and they wish to come back and, 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 and I want you to know heaven's available for them too. But right now, let's pray. Almighty God, in these culture wars, we see them as opportunities. But the microcosm of every culture war is what's going on in our hearts. I understand the influence of humanism and materialism. I understand the influence of sort of a a, a spiritualism, not grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't condemn those people. But I try to converse with them. The facts, the stories of people, the life changes that are going on. Lord, we are living the power of the resurrected Christ. And I pray for the person considering this morning that they would evaluate how effective is their operating system in their life. Oh, they're getting by. But are they anchored to eternity? And Lord, I pray for us because you have given to each of us who believes an opportunity to be in a world that is so thirsty for this. May we bring them the water that satisfies. And I ask this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.